check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. In today's episode, we have the joy of hearing from Dr. Chase Young, who is professor at Sam Houston State University. His primary research includes reading fluency, supporting struggling readers, and integrating technology in elementary literacy instruction. Today, we focus primarily on how to implement reader's theater in the classroom, and I think you're really going to enjoy this entertaining interview. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect, refine, and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger. Hello, everybody, and today we have a special guest, Dr. Chase Young from Sam Houston State University, who has not only been a professor, but also was a classroom teacher and a reading specialist, and is going to share with us today some things he's learned about building fluency. Welcome, Dr. Young. Thank you so much for having me. It's always awesome to, uh, to be able to talk to teachers, uh, especially through these podcasts. Can you tell us a little bit about your what, what got you into education and your experience as a teacher and what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, when I was 15, I wanted to find a job where you didn't have to bust tables. And, uh, and that led me to the only other job, and that was daycare. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I spent like six years just playing dodgeball uh, with kids, and I realized that that was probably something I wanted to do, even though I started as a computer scientist major, and that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> lasted about a semester, finally switched to my true calling to be a teacher, and things went great from there. And then... Uh, so I started in second grade, and uh, I student taught in first grade. Taught second grade most of the time. I did teach third grade. Um, and, you know, I mean, what got me into it, it's the greatest job in the world. <laughs> I, mean, I can't imagine what other people do with their lives, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I continued my education is because when I started teaching second grade, I realized I really didn't know how to teach kids how to read, even though I had gone to school. Uh, <laughs> and that was so, yeah, and that was a very, very important thing. So, uh, so I continued on and got a master's in reading because honestly, you know, I had a, I didn't know what I was doing. So, you know, I think a lot of us can look back at that first class we taught and go, gosh, I'm so sorry, people. I'm I so sorry. <laughs> They all have, like, lawsuits on their hands. I hope the statute of limitations is up. So, yeah, and then uh, so I got better. And uh, and after I got better, I got to, you know, learn the foundations and, and how to do that. And then I was started to do some freewheeling and, and uh, you know, kind of put my own spin on things. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Were you first a classroom teacher and then a reading specialist, or how did that go? Yeah, yeah. So I was a classroom teacher, and then... Um, uh, one of the schools asked me to be the reading specialist, so I stepped into that role for two years. And, you know, I, I loved it, and I, 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 my passion is working with kids who find it difficult to learn. Uh, you know, you have those kids that walk in, and it's like, okay, well, you don't need me at all. Uh, 
but you know that's all I worked with and it was it was fantastic I was able to test out new strategies and kind of mash certain strategies together to see if I could get more synergistic effects but unfortunately there's no recess as a reading specialist <laughs> and I missed the classroom culture of having like the classroom like we called mm-hmm. ourselves the youngenites and we were a special people you know mm-hmm. um, we had our own customs and rituals and things and and I didn't have that as the reading specialist so I actually went back and taught um, in the classroom for a few more years. Okay. And then what led you into higher education? Well, you know, I started my PhD program at University of North Texas because I just wanted to be the most amazing second grade teacher that anyone had ever seen. And apparently that's really not why people get their PhDs. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the, the first article I was assigned, I didn't even understand one of the words in the title, and, uh, epistemology. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm just going to be the greatest second grade teacher. But about halfway through the program, I'm like, wow, this is actually kind of cool because now I get to develop and research and move the field forward and share with teachers and impact their students that way. Um, So I feel like, and then, you know, I started and I was like, if I don't like it the first year, I'm going back to the classroom. But then I found out this thing where, like, you can eat lunch for, like, an hour and a half, (laughs) and you can go places, (laughs) and I was like, this is pretty sweet gig. (laughs) But I do spend uh, not as much anymore. I've been pretty busy, but I spend a lot of time in classrooms. Most of the research I do is actually in schools. So I still interact with kids on a regular basis. I assess them. I train the teachers in any of the methods we're using. I go into their classrooms and observe. So I try to stay active in the schools. Awesome. Well, I know that um, you were co-author of the book, Artfully Teaching the Science of Reading with Dr. Rosinski, and he recommended that I talk to you because he said you've got quite a lot to share about fluency. So could you talk to us about your experience researching fluency and what you've learned and how teachers can apply that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I think that one of the most important things that we need to, that I think about in reading fluency is the theory that supports it. Um, And one of the major theories is the theory of automaticity. And that theory essentially says that the more automatic in decoding a reader becomes, the more cognitive energy is freed for them to think about the meaning of the text and other high order processes. So that, you know, fancy term theory of automaticity really just manifests itself as practice. So reading practice, making sure that, uh, you know, the more we we get our students to recognize words more quickly and automatically so that they can focus on what they're actually reading. And then the other research that, you know, kind of stemmed from that was, you know, the method of repeated readings. And I know Tim talked about it. Uh, on the other episode but you know that's essentially where you read something over and over and he had also mentioned you know why in the world would anyone want to read something over and over and that's where you know we start thinking about authenticity and uh, you know a creative way to have students read something repeatedly to become more automatic in their word recognition and there's there's a lot of ways that you you can do that. And how I met Tim, actually, <laughs> I hunted him down at a professional development mm-hmm. in 2008. You know, I was a fanboy. Couldn't wait. 
Yeah, we were at intermission, and I just pretty much tackled him and cornered him. And I was like, hey, I've been using your stuff, man. And he's like, really? What in particular? I was like, we've been doing Reader's Theater this year, and it's awesome. The kids love it. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, tell me more. Do you have data? <laughs> I was like, yes. Yes, I do. So we actually ended up writing up an article for reading teachers, the first article I ever wrote. And they, I don't, people familiar with academia will find this hilarious, but I got the email back from a reading teacher that said, hey, we can't accept it at this time, but we invite you to revise and resubmit. And I was like, oh, they don't want it. And Tim's <laughs> like, no, that's, that's great. That's, <laughs> they never accept it right off. Don't worry okay. about it. <laughs> so uh, what made it publishable was kind of the framework we used for Reader Theater. If you don't mind, I, I wouldn't mind explaining that a little bit. I know Tim touched on it, but didn't really uh, go in depth on how we implemented it. If that's yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Yep. Okay, great, great. So we use a, a weekly format, a Monday through Friday type thing. Um, and we use it consistently throughout the year. And I'll say that up front because the research we've done has always been, you know, a longer duration. Don't expect great results if you use it, if you do Reader Theater on like, like a Valentine's Day okay. <laughs> or, you know, okay. one at Christmas. So, so the, the weekly format we use is kind of like, so we have all these scripts, um, and I have a ton on my website, uh, over 200, and oh, then great. a link to, uh, to the question I always get, does it come in Spanish? Uh, yes, there's about <laughs> 150 of them that are also in Spanish linked on the site. So we select well, four or five scripts based on the number of students that you have in the class, m different scripts, so they're not all okay. practicing the same one. And uh, they're usually based on popular children's books or some are nonfiction, some are fiction, some are poetry, um, some are written by my students uh, as parodies of other texts. And so what they get to do is they get to sit down and, and I kind of read each script and they think okay. about which one they like the most. And that's how the groups are formed. I say, okay, well, who wants to be in the paper bag princess? And it's uh, I want to be a paperback princess. So then their groups are formed that way based on interest. Okay. Um, and those texts are typically selected. Well, I don't select them based on difficulty or text complexity. I, base, I select them based on interest, what I think my students will like. Okay. Because we will have a week long of practice. Um, so challenging texts are absolutely welcome in this framework. So after they choose their text, they go back and they kind of read it over and then take it home. And that's, they decide you know, what, uh, what part might I want to be? So really the, they come back on Tuesday and the focus is first to choose the part. There is crying. There is crying <laughs> the first couple of weeks because they didn't get what they wanted. And you know, yeah. that's sad, but I always recommend rock, paper, scissors, not only cause it's effective, but it's also fun. Um, and you know, once they have their parts, the, the main focus on Tuesday, the second day is phonics and decoding making okay. sure that they're able to recognize the words, working through any of the difficult um, vowel patterns, which is usually what trips them up, or anything that they, multi-syllabic words, words they haven't seen before, you know, we work through those and make sure that they can break them down, put them back together, and pronounce them correctly. Uh, so that, that whole goal is about decoding word recognition and accuracy. So then they get to rehearse. They rehearse. They go through it. Um, because you have multiple scripts, I always recommend that you use a timer 
instead of saying, okay, everybody read it three times. Well, mm-hmm. kids are going to get done before the others. Mm-hmm. And then they come up to you as always and go, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. So I usually use the DMV strategy and just tell them to learn how to wait. Uh, or <laughs> you can use a timer and just say, hey, for the next five minutes, you guys are going to be rehearsing when the timer's up. Put your reader's theater scripts away and go. Okay. So then they take it home and they practice recognizing the words and then they bring it back. And on Wednesday, we start focusing on reading expression. So we start mm-hmm. think, talking about the meaning of the text and the author's purpose and, and, you know, kind of what, how to match the expression appropriately to the meaning of the text. And there's some coaching involved in that, kind of like, hey, maybe try to read it like this. It makes sense because, you know, the character's scared or whatever. Then they take it home, they practice with a watermelon or a dog or a parent or whatever. Um, they bring it back and caveat, they don't always bring it back. So have extra copies or just be frustrated. Up to you. <laughs> Why didn't you bring it back? Uh, or you just have folders, you know, hey, this script's over here. Go grab it. Um, <laughs> because typically the kids that don't bring it back are the ones that truly need more practice. Yes. Um, and then on Thursday, they do like a practice performance. And, you know, teacher roves and listens for any difficulties that students may have. And so they practice for that five minutes. And then on Fridays... They get to perform. They can perform for each other since they're all in different scripts, or they can perform for different classes, or they can perform for, you know, parents are welcome to come in. You can, you can slyly catch that parent you wanted a conference with uh, that's been avoiding you. Um, if you can announce going to other classes, sometimes we just bust in. Um, and if you're really lacking an audience, the front office people can never leave. So there you go. They are always a captive audience so essentially we go through that weekly format and they get new scripts every single week so they get exposed to a lot of different texts a lot of different words and uh and they seem to really enjoy it two things that i really love about it as well is because it doesn't take very long they walk Mm -hmm. in i always did in the morning they walk in get their folders get their scripts out and go sit down and practice I'm still imbibing coffee, trying to figure out what's going on in the day. And it gives me a little bit of extra time. Plus, they get in that routine, and that's what it is. They come in, they practice. It's five minutes. Um, And uh, the other thing I love about it is that because they have so much support, and because you provided so much support, they are reading challenging texts, especially those that are typically defined as struggling readers. Mm -hmm. They, for the first time, get to stand next to their peers read out loud to the class and sound like a great reader and it's motivating and it's confidence building and it's awesome that sounds incredible <laughs> and I, it's, I would love to see it in action sometime um, can you tell I'm going to ask some questions that I know other teachers will Please ask hear. about what you just said so first of all what grades would you recommend this for I know you did it with second grade how young mm-hmm, should mm-hmm. you start and I'm sure any grade level would work yeah, that, yeah. so um, you know if we look at Charles' work, the fluency stage is right around the first and second grade, which mm-hmm. is a prime time for this. However, I have gone and done trainings at schools where they're like, we really want to go younger. And I've done it, first grade works really great too. We just use like shorter poems and things like that. Then we just, you know, make the text a little bit smaller. Maybe using, okay. uh, 
you know, silly poetry, like Mary had a little pet, its fur was black as night, it followed her to school, school one day, which gave the kids a fright, it made the teachers shout and scream, it gave them such a scare, for Mary didn't have a lamb, she had a grizzly bear, and then like, <laughs> so you just pay narrator one reads the first yeah. line, narrator two reads the second line, so they can actually... Um, handle that kinds of text. And I've, so this one school asked me to do it in pre-K. Man, I was exhausted, but <laughs> it worked. Uh, it was a, I wrote a script specifically for pre-K that's pretty much just the alphabet. Okay. <laughs> it's like A, B, C, cat, and then somebody goes, meow. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah. So it may not be, ex- it, it may not produce the same results it does in you know first and up but if they want to participate they sure can because it's it's a fun fun activity can you talk to me you, you said i think it was the second day where you're working on phonics and decoding is that mm-hmm. you moving around the classroom and just helping kids who are stuck as they're trying to sound out all the words or how does that yeah work? yeah there's there's several ways that we can approach it sometimes they highlight the words that they're having trouble with and they work with their group also gotcha. these texts are great for your small group time. So mm-hmm. you're calling groups by reader theater instead of mm-hmm. reading level or skills necessary, whatever. And you can actually work through those texts. You can select the text based on, you know, particular phonics patterns. If you'd like, you can turn anything into a script. I mean, a Wikipedia page, you just throw narrators on it, any sort of uh, trade book, decodable text, whatever it is that you're working with in the classroom can easily become a script so well that brings me to another question which is kind of a sticky one which is Ooh, um, I like it <laughs> so there's a lot of talk about decodable text which I am a fan of decodable text wasn't always used to just used to be very balanced literacy just uh, just level books but I have some partner plays and, and reader cedar scripts and I have people ask me well couldn't you make them decodable for first grade which I can work on that, but what's your thought on that? Do they have to be decodable if that's pretty much what they're using so far for reading, and why or why not? Um, you know, I think the quality of the Reader's Theater script is very important for... The whole purpose is to entertain an audience, and mm-hmm. I haven't found a lot of great, entertaining, decodable text, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so... You know, uh, some of the scripts you'll find on my site are actually, I mean, there's hundreds of them and they're all, they're pretty much all high quality, you know, trade books, um, scary stories from Alvin Schwartz, um, things like that. So you, you won't find a whole lot of those decodables on there, but if that's your thing, you know, <laughs> feel free to make your own and send them to me and I'll post them. Well, you're saying you, you did this at the beginning of the day. So was it always the very first thing that you would do? And that was the beginning of your reading day. And um, maybe, how long did that take total-ish? So on the first day, it would take a little bit over five minutes because I'm reading the scripts. If the scripts mm-hmm. were long, I would just read like the first paragraph and leave a cliffhanger and be like, oh, yeah. And then this is what happens. Mm-hmm. And then they can decide based on that. Um, performance day really depends on the the length of the scripts because you're going to listen to all of them so sometimes Mm -hmm. it would be up to 20 minutes um but most times you know it ranged between five and ten minutes a day and you know the first study we did um was to compare these groups and i had to audit what i'm doing in the classroom i was like 
what am I doing that I don't think works for five minutes? (laughs) I've got to, I've got to find something. And I I think Mm -hmm. I dumped daily oral language, you know, those little half sheets. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Yeah, I did that once upon a time. (laughs) Yeah, we're done with that. And, you know, we compared these groups and the fluency gains were incredible in the reader's theater treatment versus the control. Everything else was pretty similar, but the fluency gains were outrageous. Um, now, how did you measure you know, those? So we measured words correct uh, per minute and also reading expression um, using the multidimensional fluency scale. So mm-hmm. there was about a 20% increase in the treatment group on reading expression, and there was double the norm expectations of growth in words correct per minute wow. in the treatment. So we've continued to study, and I don't want to get into the research yet while you're still asking questions about the practical side, but I'll get into that afterwards. Sure. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit for people who maybe haven't heard of Reader's Theater, how that's, yeah. how simple it is. I think people hear theater and they might think, oh, that takes yeah. a lot of work. We need to build a stage. <laughs> <laughs> Costume design. No. Yeah. Reader's Theater is supposed to be very basic. Um, they are, they get a text, they rehearse it, they perform it. They do not have to, we don't want them to memorize it. If they're memorizing it, then the texts are too easy. Um, We want, and we don't do props. We don't wear costumes. It is literally entertaining people with their voice and the text that was selected. So that's as basic as it is. And it, it doesn't take long. And we've seen a lot of great growth and qualitatively too, like kids just, they dig it. And, you know, you may be thinking about those students that may not participate. Well, I did this for 10 years and didn't have a single kid not participate. One year I had three students um, uh, with autism that all participated. Um, We had some students that just, you know, the reading was their greatest struggle. So I spent more time with them. Tutoring time turned into let's prep for your reader seater time, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you want to make it work, you can. It's really, really simple. So I'd love to hear about the research then and what you've learned. Okay, cool. So we did a study not too long ago because we, we know there's several, there's many studies out there that says that it builds fluency. Uh, word recognition, automaticity, or, you know, and words correct per minute, expression. So we set up this study um, with a few hundred kids in Texas. We actually had a lot more. But it was like August 24th, 2017, we were supposed to start it, and that's when Harvey hit. So Mm. a lot of those schools were actually signed up to participate, didn't open again uh, for a very long time. So we salvaged a few hundred, and we implemented the reader seater treatment versus their their typical school instruction. So um, we did it for 18 weeks, and we used the Gates-McGinnity... Um, reading tests, the fourth edition, which is a standardized, really well-established, valid, and reliable instrument for pre- and post-testing on decoding, vocabulary, and reading comprehension. And the findings, and then we did this magical process called propensity score matching, which is actually just to match the groups, uh, treatment versus control. So we lose some of the students' data, but we get a one-to-one match on you know we have a boy who's reading uh, who scored this on the pretest who is hispanic who is whatever matched with someone in the control so that the whole idea is to 
measure apples to apples. Okay. So we balance the groups the best that we can so that we can be more confident in our results. And essentially, we found out in vocabulary and decoding, it was pretty much the same growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. We were like, all right, well, we're, we're in step. But when we looked at reading comprehension, the treatment group significantly outperformed the control group um, on the reading comprehension measure. And we could be pretty confident in that because of the tests that we use and the statistics, the matching that we used on the analysis. So we could say, you know, this reader theater treatment really worked um, similarly in vocabulary to de- and decoding, but also better for reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. And, Why do you, think you know, that one is? of, the, yeah, <laughs> so that's funny. Uh, you know, speculatively, and also based on some of the research, is there is a very strong connection between reading prosody, which is the nerd word for right. reading expression, and reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. Uh, theoretically, it makes sense as well, because if you're reading something and you're reading it with expression that matches the meaning, it indicates that you understand what you're reading. Yeah. So with the emphasis on thinking about what the text means and being able to process that and then essentially convey that meaning with your voice, um, there really was a very strong focus, implicitly even, on reading comprehension. That's really cool. Okay, what, what else so did you find? Oh, gosh. So, so we go further. So we published that study, and I'm like, hmm, mucking with the data, you know. I don't know how I thought of this, but what I did is I started, I separated, I had the control and the treatment, and I separated each by gender. Okay. And I was like, I wonder what the differential effects of reader's theater are on gender, uh, you know, based on gender. And we know that there is a gap uh, that starts early in life where boys trail girls in literacy. Okay. And that's just, it's decades old. It's historic as long as I've, you know, can look back. And so we compared the growth and the treatment and the control groups by gender. And the control group for decoding it started boys lower than girls, and they grew, but it ended with the same gap, boys lower than girls. Same for vocabulary, same for reading comprehension. But we looked in the treatment group, and we saw that gap in the beginning where boys were below the girls on all three measures. But then we saw, after the post-test, that in the treatment group, the boys on all three measures ended up outperforming the girls. And we were like, what? This is crazy. So then we just pulled out the boys and compared them. And they significantly, the boys significantly outperformed the boys in the control. So this reader seater thing had a very positive impact on boys. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could retire. This is an awesome finding. It's not the answer, but it is an answer. But the problem yeah. is we didn't know why. Mm-hmm. I'd sit down with my research team. It's me and Tim Rosinski and Trisha Durham and... Linda Miller and Forrest Lane and some other people. And we go, why is this, why is this happening? So we did a true mixed method study out of need and surveyed the boys. We sent out these surveys that we developed about like, how do you feel about reader theater? You know, what, do you like it? Um, do you think it makes you a better reader? Things like that. And you know, we did this qualitative analysis and found out the boys really liked it because of the collaborative nature. Uh, they liked uh, entertaining uh, their friends. A lot of the scripts we were using were humorous as well. They liked the comedy. 
um, and they just overall enjoyed it. There was, you know, it was a lot of movement and noise, <laughs> you know, and they liked that aspect. Um, so those were kind of the major reasons why they really preferred this way of of le- practicing reading. And uh, I remember, I, I tell this all the time, but I, I love this answer. One of the questions asked the boy, um, you know, does Reader Cedar make you a better reader? And he said, no, because it's fun. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So those were some of the reasons that we found that this had a profound impact on boys and could be one of many ways that we can help close that gap. Not just through Reader Cedar, but other reading activities that incorporate, you know, the collaboration, the noise, the movement, the comedy. Yeah, when I think about all the benefits, first of all, it doesn't take long. That's a huge deal. Second, um, not only are kids practicing reading, but they're also practicing being in front of people and speaking Mm -hmm. out loud by themselves, which is a really big deal for a lot of things. Um, And then so interesting that all the work they do transfers to other texts, right, which is what you find when you're assessing them. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you can you want to share with us about your research or Reader's Theater in general? Um, you know, I, uh, I think it's important that we remember that we are those wonderful scientists who are also artists, and we take what we know about Reader's Theater and we can do other things. Like, uh, for example, we can use that same format with different, completely different approaches, like uh, poetry slams. For example, students choose poems. Uh, individually or maybe in pairs that they choral read and go through the same Monday through Friday type format where they're thinking about overall meaning, the word decoding, reading expression, the practicing. And then instead it's like a poetry slam and everybody wears black and berets and they snap clap and, you know, you drink. I wouldn't put caffeine in any of their coffee, (laughs) but, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, you can really make that happen. Um, Another thing that I recently started using is something I call Tad Talks and it's it's weird. It it's just a spin off Ted Talks, but mm-hmm. it doesn't stand for anything. Okay. <laughs> just, so don't ask what T A D means. It's just Tad Talks. And uh what I have them do is we 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 find really strange, interesting things to present to the class. Like they put together PowerPoints and or whatever and they they rehearse uh weekly in a weekly format much like that but i use the texts are very important because people want to have to listen and maybe not the, everybody in the class typically i recommend it for your struggling readers as like an extra thing that they can do but i use clickbait like like the stuff you see uh, on your social media feeds like strange state laws so like they go okay. up there and they present like why you can't wear blue shoes on Fridays in St. Louis or whatever, or they just have a list of them and they've practiced it or like, you know, the most dangerous cities. We all click on that one. It's like, where does my city fall? You know, top (laughs) 10 most dangerous cities, top 10 most active cities. So all of my texts are literally coming from all that clickbait. And so then they, they rehearse it and they stand up and they give their Tad talk and students really love it because it's wildly interesting interesting information um so that's you know there's there's endless things you can do with uh with this this kind of framework of you know starting with the decoding and automaticity and moving into 
understanding the story so that you can convey the meaning with appropriate expression. You do that with pretty much anything. Well, I would really like to see you in action. I'm sure this is so much, so much fun. <laughs> My own kids would love it. Thank you so much for taking time to talk. To I know people are really going to appreciate this, and now I have a lot to say to people who question whether Reader's Theater is backed by research. I've got lots to say. So, Oh, well, there's plenty of that on my website, too, under downloads. Awesome. So. Great. And it's great talking to you. Um, we did this very quickly. Nobody knows that you emailed me like two days ago, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks so much. Well, yeah, thank you. You can find the show notes for this episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 101. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching. 